Uh, we are going to turn uh, now to our sermon to the, uh, the Gospel of Mark, and today we're in our final, sec- uh, final sermon on this section of Mark. And uh, if you're new to Christ Church, I'll just tell you a little bit about our preaching schedule that we go through every year. Uh, we follow the church calendar. So in uh, the fall months, uh, the months leading up to Christmas, Christmas is the, the coming of Christ, we uh, study Old Testament books of the Bible. So we've been studying First uh, Samuel for the last couple of years, anticipating the coming of Christ. And then from Christmas to Good Friday and Easter, which marks the time of the life of Jesus, uh, we always look at a gospel. So we've been studying the gospel of Mark uh, these last few months, the last couple of years. And then uh, after Pentecost, Pentecost is usually in June or, uh, or late May, uh, Pentecost uh, celebrates when the Holy Spirit was given to the church. And after Pentecost, we always study one of the New Testament letters to the churches. And so we've been looking at Revelation the last couple of years. We're going to uh, finish Revelation this summer. Um, but every year in between Easter and Pentecost, we have our one sermon series of uh, the year. And this past year, our elders had a planning day. And one of the focus areas uh, for our church this past year that uh, the elders uh, prayerfully thought through was to focus on generosity with service and giving. And so maybe you've noticed in January we had a serve fair where it gave uh, people in the church an opportunity to sign up to serve in the church. And then um, our, our our deacons during Lent did teaching on the offering every week. And then our discipleship groups read uh, Randy Alcorn's the, uh, the Treasure Principle, which is a book on generosity and giving. And then actually my discipleship group, some of the guys said, hey, if you're going to be talking to the church about giving... People need help with uh, uh, budgeting if they're going to be able to be generous with their money. So actually, next Saturday, I'm going to be hosting a class here at 8.30 in the morning. There's uh, a sign-ups in the back of the bulletin uh, in the announcements, a budgeting class. And I'll just be transparent with you that I didn't really learn to budget till I was about 38. And I had uh, one of uh, our assistant pastors, Craig Harris... I said, hey, I need help budgeting, and he, I showed him all my finances. I showed him my credit card debt and the things that I needed to get figured out, and he set me up on this method. It's called YNAB, and I'm now a YNAB fan because it's helped me so much, and so I would love to help you too. So you can come. Uh, it would be a great class, 8.30 Saturday morning next week, so come, come to a budgeting class. So, um, uh, so those are several ways that we've been working as a church to develop a culture of generosity. So to cap it all off, we're going to have a sermon series on generosity. And one of those sermons will be on you know, financial giving, but we're also going to talk about God's gifts to us. We're going to talk about our time and how we use our time, redeem our time for God's purposes, and our talents. God has given all of us talents. How do we use our talents generously as well? So we're going to be talking about all those things. And as it turns out, this last sermon in this section of Mark just happens to be a story about a young man who was wealthy and loved his possessions more than Jesus. And so it's really a great preview for this sermon series that we're going to be having in the month of May. So, uh, so we're going to turn now to, to Mark chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along right there in the bulletin. We're in Mark 10, starting in verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. 
You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your, your word that speaks to every area of our lives. There is no um, square inch of the human experience that is not uh, addressed by your perfect and holy word and especially the important topic of of money and wealth and possessions and uh, Lord we trust you as why we are gathered here in worship is because we believe that you are true and good and beautiful and we want your truth and good and beauty to to powerfully speak into our lives so We pray that you'd send your Holy Spirit as our teacher. Apply these words to our community. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We live in the wealthiest society in history. I've heard that said many times, mostly by pastors, talking to their congregations about being more generous And I don't disagree with it. Of course, we do live in the most uh, wealthy society in history. But what's interesting to me about that statement is that many people in our culture, I'd say many people in our church, would say, I don't feel wealthy. I might have more money and possessions than 98% of the people on the planet, but I'm still worried about money. And how can that be? How can you be the wealthiest 2% of the world and still be anxious about your money and your possessions if you're going to make it, if you have enough. And uh, if that's you, I would say that you're experiencing what wealthy people uh, always experience, is worry about their possessions. Wealth does not take away your worries. Well, money, more problems. Is, you know, if you live in a wealthy society, it's, you need more wealth to operate in that society. And that's true in our society. And, 
If you buy a vacation home, you got two homes to worry about, not just one home to worry about. That's more worries. If you invest your money and you say, you know, I want to increase, I want to get in, uh, put my money in investments, then you got to think about the investments. You got to follow them. You got to see, is this working? What's the return I'm getting? You're going to worry about them. They adds to your cares. And so having financial worries is correlated both with having little wealth and with having much wealth. And our hearts have a strange relationship with money and possessions. And some of you may know that about yourself. You can see in yourself, I think about money a lot. It's on my mind. I'm strategizing about money. I'm worrying about money. I'm thinking about money. And maybe I'm thinking about money more than I'm thinking about spiritual matters than my discipleship in Christ, my growth in Christ. And this story is so fascinating that we just read because there's, uh, uh, there's this young man who has really devoted his life to living in obedience to God. And so much of his life is going right But Jesus says that there is this one area that has been left unaddressed. And so when Jesus presses him with the command, I want you to leave all your wealth and come follow me, it says these tragic words in verse 22. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. One little area brought ruin to the most important decision of his life. One little unaddressed area brought ruin to the the most important opportunity that came up in his life. And so today I want to talk about why wealth is such a serious matter. And I want to make just three simple observations from this passage. This is what they are. That wealth is a matter of the heart. That wealth is a matter of eternity. And that wealth is a matter of relationships. Three insights from this passage. Wealth is a matter of the heart. Wealth is a matter of eternity. And wealth is a matter of relationships. And you should all know that Jesus speaks often about the topics of money and wealth. Uh, He gives many warnings about it. And if Jesus thought it was a serious matter, then it absolutely needs our attention. And so I'm glad we have an opportunity to talk about it today. So three points for us. And the first is this, that wealth is a matter of the heart. Wealth is a matter of the heart. And there's something really tender and tragic about this story that we just read. You'll notice how it starts there in verse 17. It says, and as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so this is a man who seems very sincere and devout. You know, he comes and he kneels before Jesus. He's, he's reverent before Jesus. And what better question could someone come to Jesus with than this? What must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, many of you as Christians would say, I wish non-Christians would come and just ask me that. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And I would tell them the gospel. And, I, you know, that's just the question we want people to ask. And so on the outside... This man is a compelling potential follower of Christ, but Jesus knows what's in his heart. And what does this man's heart need? Well, there's two things I want to point out. Okay, the first is his heart needs to be questioned. His heart needs to be questioned. And we, need, we all need to know that about ourselves, that our own hearts need to be questioned. Our, heart needs, our hearts need to be probed into. And uh, this man asks uh, Jesus a question, and Jesus uh, responds with a question of his own. And, you know, Jesus often does that. When people ask him a question, he throws a question back to him. In verse 18, it says, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? 
No one is good except God. I know that's kind of a strange verse. Some of you might wonder, what's Jesus saying? Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Is Jesus kind of claiming, well, I must be God then if I'm good. And there may be something like that happening in there. But what I want to point out is the word why. And I remember a few years ago, I read a, a, a book on negotiating. It was written by a, like an FBI terrorist negotiator. And one of the things he says in there is, he says, you should never use the word why because it's too aggressive. You know, if you're, uh, if you're talking to your spouse, you say, why did you say that? Why did you do that? You know, it's just like, why is like, I'm getting into your motivations. Like, you have bad motivations. And so, you, you know, it's too aggressive. Don't use why. But Jesus uses why. And he's, uh, and um, we don't like the word why because it's addressing the attention, uh, intentions and motivations of our heart. Jesus is probing into the motivations of this man's heart. Why are you calling me good? Do you really think that I'm good? How good do you think that I am? Do you think that I'm better than your wealth and possessions? And so he has to probe because people don't want to talk about their relationship to money. That's why Jesus needs to probe into it. And when people say things like, I don't want the Bible or anyone telling me what to do with my money, it's kind of like it says in Hamlet, you protest too much, methinks. Why such protection on this topic? Why is there no area that we're more private about, this is my money, and I don't want anyone to know how much money I have or what I do with my money. I don't want God talking about that. People are, are in our culture probably more open about sex or even sexual addictions that they have, and, and you'd think that would be a harder thing to talk about and for some reason, it's not. It's because wealth is a deep matter of the heart, and so the heart needs to be questioned. But we also see a second thing in this passage is that also that the heart needs to be challenged. Wealth is a matter of the heart, and the heart needs to be questioned, but it also needs to be challenged. And Jesus goes on in verse 19 to say, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And so basically, Jesus is basically listing off a number of the Ten Commandments. And in verse 20, it says, And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now, this is quite an amazing statement. Here's this man who's saying, basically, since I was a kid, I have basically not sinned. Basically not sinned. And uh, he, I imagine that he thinks Jesus is going to be very impressed with this, that, wow, you ever since your childhood, you've not broken God's commands. And I love the words that Mark says next to describe this scene, what he says in verse 21. And Jesus looked at him, looking at him, loved him. Jesus loved the man. Why did Jesus love him? You know, there's some debate among scholars about that. Some scholars would say, well, you know, maybe Jesus was kind of impressed. You know, the guy came and knelt down before him, and he's been really trying to keep all the commandments. And, and Jesus is like, wow, this guy really could be a great disciple. Maybe that's why. I, I don't tend to think that's what, what's going on here. I think Jesus' heart aches for a young man that he knows is lost. And it's like when Jesus looks over Jerusalem. Jesus is about to go into Jerusalem and be crucified. And he, he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets who are sent to you. How much I wish I could just be like a mother hen and you'd be my children. I'd put you under my wing, but you would have nothing of it. It's this tragic love that he has for his people. Tragic love he has for this, this man. And Jesus loves this man, even though he knows that the next words that he says are going to sh uh, show that this man is a fake. 
He's not nearly as devoted to God as he shows himself to be. And so Jesus says these words, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Here's a guy who obeys all of God's commandments and he's given the most incredible opportunity in the world. The son of God has said, I'm offering for you to come walk with me. You can, like, you know, you don't have to read about Jesus' teachings in the Bible. You could hear his voice actually say them. And then you could ask him questions about it. The deep truths of all of history, the Messiah has come. And then you could watch his miracles. And you could learn all about his kingdom, profound insight. Jesus says, this opportunity this man has given, centuries of prophets deeply long to experience what is being offered to this man. But Jesus knew what, was, uh, what the man's answer would be. Even though he obeys all these Ten Commandments deep down, he loves his possessions more than he loves Jesus. Wealth is a deep matter of the heart, and our hearts need to both be questioned about it and challenged about this topic. Now, I know some of you will ask, well, when Jesus uh, tells this man to sell all you have, is that a universal command? Or is he... Are we all supposed to sell everything we have and go take a vow of poverty and give to the poor? And, well, we know from other parts of the New Testament that Christians own possessions. Uh, they were even wealthy Christians. And um, so I don't, I don't think that's what's happening here. But it is important to know that there are people who do this. I mean, even we see later in this passage in verse 28 where Peter, it says, Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. People do that. Now, actually, Peter, we know, owned a house, so he didn't sell everything he had. He had some possessions, but he did, he did you know, travel away, and he was probably oftentimes didn't know where he was going to stay. And I knew, when I went to seminary, I knew people who literally did that. They sold everything they owned. They left their jobs, and they put all their money into learning about the Bible so that they could go serve God. This is something that people do. But I, do not, uh, but I do think that this was a particular command to this man who was challenging his heart to show, do you love your possessions more or do you love me more? And he refused to follow Christ. And you might wonder, well, is it, was this really a big deal? So Jesus asked this guy to sell everything. You know, it's a pretty high bar. And... He, does this one thing mean that, that this man disobeyed this one command mean that he is now totally lost? Well, the answer to that is our second point. And so first, wealth is a matter of the heart, and so our hearts need to be questioned and challenged, particularly around the topic of money, wealth, and possessions. We need that in our lives. But second, the second thing we see in this passage is that wealth is a serious matter because wealth is a matter of eternity, Wealth is a matter of eternal significance. And so this young man goes away from Jesus. He doesn't accept the offer. And Jesus immediately takes the opportunity to impress a lesson on his disciples. And you see it there in verse 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus wants to make sure that his disciples get this, and so he repeats this. He says it's very difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom, and whenever the Bible repeats something, it means you need to pay attention. This is important. Verse 24 again. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, 
children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, if you've been in churches, you've, you've maybe heard this parable talked about. There's something that pastors have often said that, that the, uh, the eye of the needle was a gate going into a city that when camels had to go through the gate, they had to bend down low. You know, they had to lower themselves to get through the gate, and that's what rich people need to lower themselves to get through the eye of the needle. There's apparently no historical evidence for that, and it's a very clever interpretation, and I really think all this is saying is that for a rich person to enter the kingdom, it's a miracle. It's a work of God. And that's why I say wealth is a matter of eternity, He twice says that wealth is a tremendous obstacle to entering God's kingdom. And you and I, living in the wealthiest society in history, had better be on guard about this topic. And if you find yourself not obeying Jesus with regard to your money and just ignoring this area of your spiritual life, you know, for example, you don't want to tithe to the church. Jesus commands to tithe to the church. I didn't command. Jesus says that. Or if you don't want to be generous to people that are in need, Jesus clearly commands that to us. Or giving to God's kingdom, you know, the, the expansion of God's kingdom. Clearly, Jesus clearly says that's part of what we're supposed to be doing with our, with our wealth and our possessions. Jesus is clear in the Sermon on the Mount, you cannot serve two masters. You will obey one and hate the other. Your obedience, your thoughts, your devotion will either be given to Christ or it will be given to, to money and uh, to possessions. And so your relationship to money, my relationship to money, is an eternal matter. And this is surprising to the disciples in this passage. You see in verse 26 how they say, and they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And you say, it's kind of a weird question. So, you know, Jesus says, it's very hard for rich people to enter the kingdom. And then they say, well, if rich people can't, then no, how can anyone get in? You say, what? what is, what's the logic there? And the logic is that in the ancient world, People thought that if you were rich, it was because the gods had blessed you. You had the favor of the gods. You know, even Proverbs talks that way, that if you're a righteous man, you're going you're gonna to have abundance and wealth. And so it shows God's favor. So if the people who have God's favor can't even enter the kingdom, what, what hope is there for everyone else? And of course, uh, Jesus doesn't see it that way at all. We, we know from Luke, Jesus says, blessed are the poor, and woe to you who are rich, and you might think, why do we think that faith, that uh, Christian faith is in such steep decline in America in our day? It's because we're the richest country in the world. And it's very difficult for rich people to enter the kingdom. And they're not in our country. But you go to Africa and they're coming to faith by the droves. Wealth makes you soft, gives you a false sense that you're in control of your life gives you an expectation of comfort and health. You don't have to think about death. You don't have to cry out to God because you're in need. It is absolutely a huge obstacle to having a close and trusting relationship with the Lord Jesus. And Jesus has a famous uh, parable in Luke that um, it's going to be in the offering uh, later in in the service, but I'll I'll tell it to you now. It says it's about a rich man who is a farmer, and he's a very successful farmer. He's, He's... you know, his crops were just going gangbusters, and so he's walking around his farm, and he has this little speech to himself. He talks to himself. This is what he says. I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, 
And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And the Lord adds these powerful words. But God said to him, fool, this night your life is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? He is saying, you should think about eternity like it's tomorrow. That's how we should be thinking about our life. And Jesus' lesson from the parable, this is what he says there in Luke 12. He says, he says take care and be on your guard against all kinds, all covetousness. You know, covetousness is when you see other people, they go, oh, they got that boat or they got that new car or they got that nice house and they went on that vacation. Ooh, I want those things. And, and that, he says, you gotta be on guard about that pattern of heart that can direct our whole lives. He says, and Jesus says these amazing words, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. It's not, the problem was not that this man was building a successful business. That's not a problem at all. It's a, the Bible says that righteous people do that. It's that he thought his life consisted in his possessions and was not preparing himself for eternity. Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Let's all just embrace that in our hearts. That's not what my life is about. This is a deep matter of the heart and a matter of eternal significance. And if our life is not about possessions, then what is it about? And that's our final point that we see from this passage. So we've seen wealth is a matter of the heart. Wealth is a matter of eternity. The final point is that wealth is a matter of relationships. Wealth is a matter of relationships. Now, of course, Jesus gives hope in this passage. In verse 27, he says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So it's possible to be wealthy and serve Christ. You can live in the wealthiest nation in the world and history and still serve Christ. But when someone loves Jesus above all, their view of wealth changes. Uh, and the thing that changes is the thing that makes me feel like I'm rich. What is the thing that I want my cup overflowing with that I say, wow, I have abundance? And this is really a matter of our ordered loves. And uh, ordered loves are that we are to love God first, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we love people. And then we only love wealth in so much as it helps us love God and people. Wealth is a servant for loving God and loving people. And you see this exact ordering of priorities in the end of this passage. And it's interesting because Peter says to Jesus, you know, we've left everything to follow you. And, and Jesus responds with an incredible promise. Look at verse 29. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. And so Jesus is describing here ordered loves. He's saying people who love him more than their houses and their lands and their possessions, even more than their own families, he is their first love. And, and when people do that, does it turn out that Jesus wants people to be poor? Is he just squeezing all the pleasure out of life? And he says, I want you to serve God and I don't want any other enjoyment for you. Is that what Jesus is like? It's just the opposite. 
And this is the incredible promise in verse 30 where he says, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. That's talking about in this life. A hundredfold houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. That's part of the promise that you're going to suffer along the way. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many were first will be last and the last first. Jesus says if you follow him, he's not going to just totally strip you of wealth and enjoyment. You're going to have hundreds of houses. What is that talking about? This is true. If your whole life is immersed in the community of love that Jesus is forming, you're going to have you're going to find yourself in many people's houses over the course of your life. You know, I've, I've been a Christian, I don't know, 27 years or something like that. It's really hundreds of people, that, homes that I've been in, in in my life. Everything from small apartments to big, fancy houses. And many of them, if I needed a place to sleep, I could sleep in them. It's like they're, my, they're the houses of my family. And, um, and over the course of a lifetime, if you follow Jesus the tables you will eat at, the homes that will be shared with you are many. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's not that Jesus wants us to be miserable. He just wants us to know and to love him first above all things. But the main thing that Jesus highlights in this promise is not possessions and not money, but people. And... uh, you will have brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. And that's why I say wealth is ultimately a matter of relationships. A rich life is a life filled with love. And we all, that should be our picture for all of us for our whole life. A rich life is a life that is filled with love. When Jesus says your life is not about the abundance of possessions, he's saying this is what it's about. And actually, uh, just yesterday, you know, we had the men's retreat the last couple of days. And David Scott, who's a pastor from uh, Puyallup, who was the speaker at the men's retreat, I was talking to him. He was telling me about a young man in his church who's a, a, he's 19 years old, and he had an accident when he was working, and he lost two of his fingers it was just recently. And so he was taken to the hospital, and he had surgery. And when he woke up from surgery, he said he had 80 different people had texted him that they were praying for him, and they loved him. They cared about him. He's a young man. He just loves Jesus is in the church, and that's just when he woke up, you know, the hundredfold, maybe he got 20 more after, and he had a full hundred people that texted him. Those are his brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers that are praying for him. He really has that, and that's a real thing. That 19-year-old kid is rich. He is rich with relationships. He is rich with love, and so how important have possessions become to you? They are a deep and serious matter of your heart. Have you taken care the way Jesus said that this is a matter of eternity? Jesus offers you true wealth, which is relationship with him. In him is riches, both spiritual and earthly, like nothing else in existence. There's no one richer than Jesus. A whole world of love because he is the fountainhead, the source of all love. And he invites you and me, just as he looked at this rich young ruler and loved him in this passage, he invites us to share 
in that world of love with him. That is our hope. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for um, how this passage uh, speaks uh, to some of the deepest matters of our heart. And we uh, pray that you would make us a community that we encourage one another to be generous, to trust you, to treasure you, Christ, above all things. And Lord, uh, a place where we experience the, the truth of these promises of the riches of love that are ours in Christ. And so it's in his name we pray, amen.